Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Oracle. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moran. My guest today is Barbara Weldon, a tax and business attorney since 1977. Barbara is the author and public speaker who specializes in helping small business owners and entrepreneurs get ahead. She offers expertise on everything from taxes, law, and finance to business owners. Barbara's written numerous books on small business operations, including the J.K. Lasser's Small Business Tax Guides and the Rational Guide to Small Business Credit. Her writing has appeared in the Wall Street Journal and U.S. News and World Report. Barbara, as I'm pleased to announce, is also one of our members on the SMB Experts Panel, sponsored by Oracle. Welcome, Barbara, to the show. Thanks, Brian, for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I imagine uh, that you are probably one of the most popular people in your town at conferences and anywhere else you go these days, right, where business owners are congregating? Well, absolutely. Due to the new tax law, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, everybody wants to know what's up with the new law and what does it mean for me? Right. All right. So, so let's get into that. Right. There was a there were a massive uh, a massive overhaul to uh, taxes at the end of last year, and it left a lot of people, especially business owners, scratching their heads about what they should be doing at the end of last year. You know, in, in I live in New Jersey, and there was a lot of concern about. Uh, the property tax, um, uh, you know, cuts the the uh, the ceiling that they put on the amount that you could write off, and uh, there was a lot of uh, you know, do I pay it now? Do I wait? So, what do the two new tax laws mean to me as a business owner? Well, from, you were talking primarily at, from a personal perspective, from but right. as a business owner, we know that the tax rate on regular C-corporations has been cut dramatically to 21% flat tax rate. But we know that most small business owners, most business owners, in fact, in this country, are are past our own pass-throughs, whether it's a sole proprietorship, a partnership, a limited liability company, an S-corporation. And we know that these owners pay tax on their share of profits on their personal returns. So what are the tax changes for owners of pass-throughs? So first, we have to recognize that the, that the tax rates on individuals has come down a little bit, not as dramatically, obviously, as the corporate rates, but all the rates are down uh, a, a little bit. So well, everybody's going to pay a little less on their business profits from that perspective. But one of the key changes for owners of pass-throughs is a brand new deduction. It's called a qualified business deduction, and it's 20% of qualified business income. And there's a tremendous amount of confusion about what this deduction is, uh, what the limitations are, who it applies to, who it benefits. So maybe I'll just run through a little bit, Brian, and, and just talk. Yeah. Yeah, just explain a little bit. Enlighten so, us. Yeah, okay. So first of all, it's, it's for pass-throughs. It's not a business deduction. In other words, it doesn't reduce the, the amount of profits 
and it's not an adjustment to a gross income like you take your uh, IRA or alimony deduction. It's not that kind of deduction. It's actually more like you would take a standard deduction or itemized deductions. In other words, it's a subtraction before you uh, before you arrive at taxable income. So it comes mm-hmm. off at the end. It's not going to reduce uh, the amount of uh, self-employment uh, tax that you pay if you're an unincorporated business owner. So that's where you take the deduction. But how do you figure it? Well, it's 20% of qualified business income. And if you're eligible for this, if you're taxable income, not your business income, not your adjusted gross income, not your modified adjusted gross income, but your taxable income is no more than 157500 if you're single or $315,000 if you're a joint filer. You take the 20% deduction. It doesn't matter what kind of business that you're in or you just look at what's qualified business income. And obviously, we're going to have to wait for a lot of IRS guidance to clarify a lot of this terminology. But once your taxable income goes over this amount, then Mm -hmm. there's a new limitation. It's referred to as a W-2 limitation, but it's And it relates to the the wages that you report to Social Security Administration for you as a business owner, if you're an S corporation, plus your your rank and file employees. But there's a special limitation that's being talked about considerably, and that's for specified service businesses. In other words, if you're a lawyer, accountant, an athlete, a consultant in financial services, then the amount of business income that you can take into account phases out so that once your taxable income is more than $415,000 on a joint return or $207,500 if you're single, you're not going to get any benefit from the deduction. So if you are, uh, let's say, a dry cleaners and your taxable income is over that initial threshold, I said, well, then you figure the mm-hmm. W-2 limitation. But if you're in the service business, you may not get any deduction. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. A lot of uh, twists and turns here, very complicated. And clearly, because this is brand new, we're going to need a lot of IRS guidance. So that's really the the, the perspective of you as the business owner. But I think that there's more involved with the tax changes because there are a lot of incentives in the new law that make it better for your business and may want to, it may lead you to uh, review your um, business plans and what you are planning to do in the coming year. So, uh, for example, the, ch- the tax rules change greatly for writing off the cost of acquiring equipment or making capital improvements. It right. uh, also made changes, made it a lot easier for many more businesses to use the cash method of accounting, which is a lot easier than a, the accrual method. And there's a mm-hmm. brand new tax credit for paying for family and medical leave. This is something that, that was just introduced in the law, applies only for 2018 and 2019. But maybe this is, you know, in a tightening job market, maybe this is a, an incentive that might uh, be appealing for you as a business to uh, recruit or retain workers. So that, that's kind of it in a nutshell. 
<laughs> That's a big nutshell. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> yeah, well, the, uh, the law was, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pages. So, right, and, right. Uh, you know, I could go on and on, but I think the the key point here for all business owners is that they really need to sit down with their CPA or other tax advisor and see how the new law impacts them specifically. You know, I went through the generalities, but every, right. every situation is unique. Um, and, and, and obviously, whatever happened in 2017 has happened. So when, we're, when you say we're looking for guidance from the IRS, is that for 2018 going forward or are they still trying to figure out how we're going to pay taxes in 2017? Well, you know, what, what was so interesting is just um, as part of the uh, deal to uh, the budget deal that was enacted recently, it contained extenders for provisions that expired at the end of 2016 and nearly about 40 provisions were extended for 2017. So, wow. yeah, you're talking about the IRS focusing on 2017 returns. We're in the midst of the tax season for filing 2017 returns, and there's still a lot of moving parts there. But I think in terms of the guidance that we need, we need that going forward for the new rules that apply starting in 2018. Sure. Um, one of the things you mentioned was um, uh, deductions on capital equipment. I remember reading that um, you know if you purchased a vehicle for your business, that you could write off 100% of the cost of the vehicle this year. Um, one, is that accurate? Two, does that apply to all businesses or specific businesses? Well, it's accurate in, in some regard. So uh -huh. it depends on the vehicle and it depends on the amount of business use. So in general, if you buy a car, a light truck or a van and, for, and you use it partly for business or uh, even fully for business, there is a dollar limit on how much you can write off each year. Now, mm -hmm. the new law did greatly increase the amount that you can write off. So that's a significant help there. There's right. a special tax rule for heavy SUVs weighing more than 6,000 pounds. And if the vehicle falls in that area, there's a whole slew of rules that come into play that enable you to essentially write off the vehicle. I mean, there may be some limits, but essentially. So again, it, and, and if you're buying a heavy truck, like you need a, you know, a, a, a big uh, construction vehicle, for example, right. then right. you may be able to write the whole thing off as well. So again, it depends on what kind of vehicle you're talking about, what it's used for. And uh, again, a lot of it, it's hard to give just a, a flat answer. Okay. And, and as far as, um, and, and that's for capital equipment, w was there anything written in there about uh, investment in, let's say, technology or other um, uh, equipment for your business? Um, is, it, is it defined largely to automotive? No, or? no, 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 uh, okay. absolutely. It's for uh, equipment and machinery. You can expense the cost up to a million dollars in 2018. So yeah, that's an awful lot of iPads to buy for your staff, right? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but there are, uh, like I said, with construction and 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 uh, and manufacturing, they may be making uh, significant investments. Um, actually, we, we we saw a recent NFIB survey saying that this year 
record numbers of businesses are planning to uh, to expand, and that includes making investments in their business in this manner. So that's really a great opportunity, and it's something that that we were hampered with in the past. We had temporary rules, and and now we know we have this this. Um, expensing option going forward, and it's going to be indexed for inflation, and so uh, it should stay apace and, and be a real break for many business owners. It's interesting you mentioned that. I, I remember when we were talking about Obamacare, um, you know, there was that rule of 50 employees, right? Less than 50. Uh, if you once you once you went over fifty, you were taxed uh, differently from a healthcare perspective. Is that accurate? Now, does that rule still apply too in business, or was that right. something that? That's a great question because the new law did eliminate the individual mandates starting in 2019, meaning that an individual who doesn't obtain minimum essential health coverage and isn't exempt from this requirement won't be penalized going forward. Forward. But the new law didn't change the employer mandate, which is you referenced applies to employees with 50 or more uh, full t- uh, empl- employees uh, or a full-time equivalent employees. Right. So the employer mandate is still in place, meaning that em- that if you're if you are one of these employers, you do have to provide coverage or pay a penalty. Now, we know that Congress has tried to repeal and replace Obamacare, which would impact the employer mandate. What will happen mm-hmm. going forward? Who knows? I think the best piece of advice that you're giving to everybody is, one, uh, you need to be proactive about your taxes, which is unfortunate because it does take our eyes off of the business in part, right, that we have to deal with what are the ramifications from the changes made in 2017, which we have no control over. Uh, But then moving forward, what are our plans for 2018 in terms of... um, Right, buying equipment for our business. Does that also apply for buildings? Uh, well, like if I were to buy a building? Well, it's, it doesn't apply for buying a whole building, but they've liberalized the rules for being able to write off certain improvements like uh, heating and air conditioning and roofs and stuff. So uh, there's, you have to really check what the changes are and, and whether they apply. I think one of the things to keep in mind is that not everything has changed. For example, mm-hmm. uh, the, the rules for retirement plans, which which is a big part, a big benefit that many businesses offer, the rules are essentially unchanged. And again, in the tightening job market, we want to keep this type of benefit in mind as an offering to our to our staff. And as business owners, it's helpful for us to to save for our retirement as well. And there was some talk about reducing, right? Exactly. uh, The amount that we could, that, that to me was ludicrous yeah. like that that would have I don't understand that we have enough problems saving money as it is in America and the idea of capping the 401k plans would be um, almost like a disservice to the people even who were trying to save that money well as you point out that there was talk of doing it but in the final measure there was no change in what you can put in and in fact uh, every year we know that the contributions and other rules for retirement plans are adjusted for inflation so for example the amount that you can put into a 401k is is $500 more than in, in 
for 2018 is $500 more than it was in 2017. So we're moving in the right direction. Okay. So you, you come out with your annual J.K. Lasser small business taxes. Is 2018 out? The 2018 guide is out, and that's for preparing 2017 returns. And the supplement to that guide reflecting the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and other changes since it was uh, published in October is also posted on my website. I'm working on the 2019 edition now, which will reflect (laughs) the tax cut. Well, all the changes for 2018 going forward. So people can get that. They can they can, they can buy it on online. Absolutely. Right? J.K. Lasser Small Business Taxes 2018 for the 2017 year by Barbara Weltman. And they can go to your website, which is www.barbaraweltman.com. Correct. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Also, I did read, I, I was on, I was snooping on your Twitter account this morning in preparation for our podcast today. And I did see you mention that NFIB uh, survey about the uh, small business growth, which was exciting. And if people wanted to follow you on Twitter, they could find you at Barbara Weltman, right? It's just your name. Exactly. Okay, let's do this. So I, I want to kind of extend the conversation uh, to interest rates now for 2018, uh, which is something that I think is also on the minds of many business owners, which I and I know you know a lot about. Um, so the Fed's held interest rates in check at their last meeting, but it's expected that interest rates may go up two or three times this year, which will obviously make borrowing money more expensive for business owners. Um, what what are your recommendations for business owners who are looking to grow their companies in 2018? And also separately, can we still write off interest payments as uh, as an expense? Well. Those are good questions. Uh, I think I think we. Have <laughs> it's to, what keeps me up at night, Barbara. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's kind of obvious that as interest rates rise, it's going to cost us more to borrow. So, mm-hmm. if you have a, an outstanding line of credit, maybe you want to think about paying it down now before the rates rise. I mean, that would be one strategy. Also, perhaps. Looking uh, long term, it might be helpful to start stockpiling cash so you won't have to borrow to finance your growth in the future when it will be more costly. Uh, that This will help you to minimize your needs to, to borrow. You, you asked the question about deductibility. Small businesses can continue to deduct all of their interest payments. But Mm -hmm. there was a change in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act starting for 2018 that businesses with average annual gross receipts in the three prior years of $25 million or more, there's a limit on what they will be able to deduct uh, for their interest. And it's complicated. I don't have to go into it. But just basically, if you think of if if you're under that $25 million gross receipts threshold, all of your interest payments are going to be deductible. I think there's another aspect to the interest rate discussion. Uh, As interest rates are rising, I think the reason they rise is because the Fed recognizes that there's an uptick in inflation. And I think this, this should prompt you to be thinking about raising your prices to keep pace with inflation. So in other words, uh, you know, it's not just... It's not just the interest rates, but the, the the flip side is you have to think about your pricing as well. 
Right. So when you're planning for 2018, as you're as you're doing your financials, you need to look at at the you know, cost of goods sold, which would probably be going up. And so as a benchmark, it depends obviously on your industry, but whether they go up two, three, five, ten percent. Right. That that, you know, you, you need to look at your economic indicators for your specific business and, and get a sense of of how much more your expenses will cut into your profit. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's what I'm saying. And relative to that is that perhaps it's time to raise your prices. It's be- right. as your expenses go up to to maintain your profit margin, you need to raise your prices. And, and now you and I have, have worked with small business owners for decades. And this is one thing that we both know to be mostly true, is that business owners are very hesitant about raising their rates to their customers. There's that fear that they'll, if they raise it too much, that they'll lose the business. And given the kind of the change in the dynamic of the business owner and customer relationship, you know, that the customer now holds almost all the keys to you know, where they go and where they buy. Uh, do you think that business owners will be more hesitant than ever to raise rates for their customers? Well, I, I think it depends on, on what the business is. So, if, for example, if, if you're selling goods, price is, is usually not the key factor in somebody doing business with you because customers can find cheaper prices through Amazon or, or, or other uh, of online sites and so if they're buying right. from you they're buying the experience the service or something else besides just the price of the item and so I think pricing isn't that uh, sensitive in that respect but when you're giving mm-hmm. in terms of services I think it's a competitive marketplace and you do have to uh, temper what you do with your pricing relative to what you're competitors are doing unless you have a, a completely unique offering and and so you know in the mindset of the business owner you know there are two there are two thoughts here I could raise my rates now while everyone else has kind of remained stagnant to get ahead of uh, my costs going up or I could just hold back and maybe get more business as my competitors raise their rates. Well, that's exactly right. And, and there, are, there, are, there are so many pricing strategies that can be used. For example, uh, you, you might want to uh, keep the prices uh, stable for the rest of the year for your existing customers and raise them for new customers. Or right. I mean, there are so many different ways to play it. And you kind of have to know what dynamic pricing does to your business uh, and whether it's relevant or not and and what's the best solution for your situation? And and just I'll make a personal statement here. One of the things that frustrates me to no end, and for all of you, uh, you know, B2C companies out there, is when I've been a customer of yours for 10, 15, 20 years, and I see my rates go up, and then I see this new customer discount that comes in, and it's you know, half of, of what I'm paying. Uh, nothing, nothing. I actually got a, a, um, a letter from a company just like that. Uh, it was a, they wanted my daughter to buy the product and I already had it and I looked at it and it was literally a third of what I was paying. And they offered this, this price for a year. I said, well, why don't you just give me that? Oh, because you're not a new customer. I said, well, I am now of your competitors because they're offering me that rate. 
And so it does, you know, it, it, don't make it easier for your long-term customers to leave you um, over these, you know, different pricing structures. You know, it, everybody is focused a lot, you know, a lot on uh, acquisition. You know, think about what it would take to retain those existing customers that you've had for decades. Oh, I, my, I my agree with you. Uh, but I was suggesting that you could maintain the the lower prices for your existing customers and charge yes. your customers more. Because as you said, it costs more to find a new customer than to retain an old one. Right. And you just don't, you don't want to get on that carousel of where customers are jumping on and off every two years. That, that is frustrating. I found myself now, though, doing that. Now I am, you know, it's that caveat emptor, right? Okay, if that's how the game is played and you don't appreciate my loyalty, I'll jump on the carousel and I'll switch services every two years. Um, okay, I want to touch on one more thing. This has been phenomenal, by the way, Barbara. I could talk to you every other day <laughs> about small business topics and and especially, you know, the financial ones, which do keep most business owners up at night because that's not why they went into business, right? They went into business to produce a great product or a great service and they love what they do. But the, the you know, the it, financial to them is a lot like social media. It's like this great abyss, which they don't really understand. So they just ignore. Uh, don't ignore it, though. I think Barbara and I would both tell you that. Obviously, you know, find a competent bookkeeper, an accountant, an advisor that can help you make the right financial decisions for your business. I think one well, of the, before, before you get into the, uh, the, another question, I just think that business owners need to recognize that there's a big payoff in focusing on the financial. So for taxes, for example, it's the difference between what you earn and what you keep. So you have a real big interest in making sure that you understand what's going on and uh, you optimize your situation. I, that's a great point that there is a carrot. It's not just the stick. It's, you know, you're going to do this and it's going to hurt, but that there is, as you say, a payoff. So that's a, a great point, Barbara. Um, okay. Let's one other um, area that I always like talking to you about. And by the way, this has been a real treat for me for years. I think you have one of the best pod podcasts that I listened to for about 10 years on, on business. And uh, I, I happen to be a guest a couple of times in your podcast. So I like the idea of this being flipped now where I get to ask the questions. Um, but let, let's briefly touch on insurance because all of this ties together taxes, interest rates, insurance, because they're all going to affect your business in some sort of financial manner. Um, you know, there are two types of insurance that I know you're familiar with and that we've talked about. And one is cyber li liability and the other one is disaster insurance. So let's cover cyber liability first. What types of businesses should be looking into cyber liability insurances in 2018? I think the, the main consideration is that business owners, they take they took out insurance when they started. Every year they get a renewal. They just pay it. They don't look at, to see whether it's it's still appropriate for their business, whether that the extent of coverage that they have under the policy is sufficient or whether they need to make changes. And one of those changes may be adding on cyber liability coverage to protect your, yourself. I mean, if you're online, then... Uh, uh, chances are you could be hacked, your system could go down and, and cost you uh, sales. So 
having this kind of coverage will, uh, for example, pay for data reconstruction and more. And so you, you, you have to look into it and see whether this is something that is helpful to you and whether you can af- afford it. Uh, with respect to is it expensive uh yeah it's it's the prices are coming down when they when it was first introduced uh, more than a dozen years ago it was very pricey but it, it, the prices are are coming down on this kind of coverage and usually as i said it could be an add on to to your existing coverage it doesn't have to be a standalone policy do most insurance companies offer cyber liability insurance now uh now most of them yeah the bigger ones are are certainly doing it in in originally when it was first thought about it was it was kind of a a rare uh offering but now i think you can it's not too difficult to find and and your insurance agent should certainly be able to guide you on this i think you mentioned uh, disaster coverage and and what i think that that um, there are two aspects to disaster coverage. So one is maybe you want to have business interruption or business continuation coverage, which is a kind of policy that will pay your overhead if a disaster forces you to close or perhaps even relocate temporarily or permanently. So that will just pay your expenses. That's one type. And the other is just to look at your, your liability coverage to make sure that, that if you are hit by a storm, look, I was hit by Hurricane Matthew in 2016, Hurricane Irma in 2017. You want to make sure that your policy will cover for those kinds of events and whether you need separate flood insurance. Right, right. I mean, these are all the things that business owners hesitate to look into because it's almost like, uh, you know, uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I get it, it will happen. Um, But, you know, a lot of times I remember there was a study done years ago by an insurance company that said um, something to the effect of less than a third of small business owners that get hit by disaster, natural or man-made, ever reopen their doors. That it's just so overwhelming that they can't recover. And, And the ones that do recover, less than half are in business two years later. Yeah, that's, so, that's, that's what the, the SBA found, 40% never reopen. So that, that's yeah. a huge number. And, and you're right, e- even those that do reopen may be struggling because they didn't have the financial wherewithal to, to rebuild. And that's why you need insurance. And, and that there's a, a game that I like to play with my clients. And I do have a success story here. It's called the what if game. So what if... You know, uh, somebody hacked into our computers. What if they were stolen? What if we lost our best salesperson to the competitor? And and I played this game with my client. I said, what if your building burned down? And she laughed and she said, well, we have insurance and, you know, the insurance would cover it and whatnot. And I said, well, you should, you should check these things. You know, every six months, just have a, a checklist that you go through to make sure you have all your coverage. Sure enough, the client that I'm talking about, and I'll, I'll call her out by name, is called the Giggling Pig in Connecticut. Great little small business that, that I've helped. Um, they have two retail locations, and they were right at the height of summer camps, and they were just starting out. And she got a call at about 3.30 one morning telling her that the building where her store was in was on fire. And she rushed down there and she played the what if game with me and she had a plan. And sure enough, the camp started, I think, at eight or nine o'clock in the morning. 
there was a property right across the street that was for lease. She called the number. She said, I'll take it. You know, and the owner was sympathetic and gave her a good rate on the on the the uh, lease, and uh, she moved everything into the store. She took all the supply, a lot of supplies from her other store, moved it in there. She didn't miss a day of camp with her students. You know, she called all her teachers. They all came down. Everybody helped set up the new store, and and that is the benefit of being proactive when it comes to playing the what if game. So a disaster does strike your business. It's like you break open the glass, you pull out the paper and say, okay, this is what we need to do. It's a great story and you're so right. And and as I said, having been through uh, two recent experiences, your mind kind of has a checklist. Do this, do this, do this, do this. As the, the if you have some warning and how to recover if disaster strikes. Yes. Barbara, we have come to the end of our podcast. Can you believe that? I can literally talk to you all day. So this this really was fantastic. Uh, you gave us so much information. I hope all of the listeners to the podcast follow you on Twitter, visit your website to get the supplement to your taxes, buy your J.K. Lasser uh, tax guide for 2018, and um, also subscribe to your idea of the day. And they can find that on your website can, to subscribe to? Yes, they can. And they can read my blogs oh. and my newsletter. Yes. And and we have a Twitter calendar there, which posts all of your tweet chats. So right. that's something right. to follow there to see what's going on in the, in the tweet chat world. Well, you are a tremendous resource to small and mid-sized business owners. And we appreciate you every day, Barbara. So thank you for being on the Small Business Edge podcast. And we look forward to having you back soon. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Oracle. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.